Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget, you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast. Hey, hey, we have a fantastic broadcast, and you are going to want to listen until the very end. I'm so honored to have Dr. Donald Whitney uh, on our Georgia Baptist Discipleship broadcast today, and he is just a real hero, um, the faith and exceptional leader. So Dr. Whitney is the professor of biblical spirituality at Southern Seminary and an associate dean of the School of Theology. He's authored nine books, conference speaker, served as pastor for 24 years, uh, married to his wife, Kathy, and several children. And probably he would say the most important part are those grandkids that are now part of that family. So uh, Don, thanks you, thank you for investing in our tribe, taking some time this afternoon to share with us. Well, it's an honor to be with you, Scott. Thanks. Yeah. Now, my co-host today is Ray Sullivan, discipleship consultant in the southeast region of Georgia. He's one of the most gifted preachers and personal disciple makers that I have met. And he's not just a colleague. Ray, you're a close friend, buddy. Thank you for all that you do and for producing for us today as well. Now, um, just a reminder, our team has a stack of resources that we want to give away. So make sure that you leave a comment and you'll be entered into a drawing. And if you share the link, then you get double entry into that drawing. Ray, jump in here, buddy, and lead our conversation. Hey, Scott, I am so excited about this. Been looking forward uh, to this broadcast for, for quite a while. So today, uh, Dr. Whitney is with us, and um, man, I am um, indebted to Dr. Whitney uh, in so many ways. He has been uh, just uh, an inspiration in my life, not just through his books, but I did have an opportunity uh, to study with him uh, when I was at Southern Seminary working on uh, my D-Men. Uh, so I got to get, spend some time in those cohorts. And Dr. Whitney, thank you so much for being here. You know, a lot of things that you taught me, um, I really remember and I cherish, but the, one of the things that you introduced me to um, that uh, I really had never no known anything about was your love of fountain pens. And oh. I am here today, even with my Lamy uh, that I still keep with <laughs> me today. So, hey, before we, we get into... Uh, the deep dive in this stuff. What what was it about fountain pens? How did you get started in fountain pens? And uh, what's the latest one? I'm curious, the latest one you've gotten, and what's your favorite? Oh, wow. Well, uh, I can remember in high school, Papermate came out with a flare, the first fiber tip pen. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I was captivated by that, had all 10 colors. Then when I started college, part of my school supply books buying and so forth every semester. I bought a little $3 Schaefer cartridge fountain pen uh, every semester. And I, I don't really know why, except I enjoyed using them, used those all the way through seminary. After we got married, one of the first nice gifts my wife gave me was a very nice uh, top of the line Parker. 
My dad died in 85. One of the three or four things I brought back was a nice Parker 75 pen his boss had given him. So now I had two pens, black and blue, I could put in. I used them all the time. Then when I moved to Kansas City uh, in 95 to start teaching at Midwestern, they had a pen shop there. And oh man, that was when things really accelerated, started getting things on the eBay, learned how to repair some of them. I, I just, I enjoy them. Um, they, you know, a Volkswagen Beetle will take you from, from, you know, A to B, point A to B, uh, but uh, a Lamborghini is going to get you there in a lot better style, you know? <laughs> well, um, a lot more enjoyable ride. Well, so that's the way it is with, with pens. I just like the, the tactile feel of it. I like some of the kind of vintage technology. And, and, and frankly, you know, as I say to people, uh, you know, it's a man's pen. You know, if, this is what an adult uses. So uh, it can add some pleasure to an otherwise routine task like grading, you know? And uh, I say, I'll use this pen. I haven't used it in a while or something. So I just I can hear it already. I can hear it already. When we get off this broadcast, Ray's going to send me a text that says, you know, if you were a real man, you would buy all the consultants a nice, expensive fountain pen. Yeah. Amen. Hey, maybe that's what we could do for our swag, Scott. We can get a new fountain pen with uh, Georgia Baptist Discipleship on it. Maybe, you know, so. we give it to our MDiv graduates now. We give them a, a fountain pen. So. There you go. There's a plug for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah, Southern that's Baptist right. Culture. Yeah, this is your, your Southern Baptist in Georgia there. This is one of the schools you own and support through that's the cooperative right. program. So um, that that pen store I think you're talking about is still in Kansas City. Oh, yeah, the pen place down in uh, Crown Center. Well, mm-hmm. I, I've ordered stuff online from them, so uh, there's a plug there. But your favorite fountain pen, Dr. Whitney? Well, my daily carry for about 25 years is a uh, a park a Pelican M1000. I had some custom work done on the nib, so it's kind of extra flexy. Well, what's that about? It gives you line variation. If you think of your local you know, Coca-Cola company there, the old classic Coca-Cola script that has thick and thin you know, in the letters, mm-hmm. I like a pen that can do that. And so I had some custom work done on the nib. And so for 25 years, that's the one that's been in my pocket when I go out every day. So. I could see it now, Scott. We're going to have pastors all over uh, Georgia and watching this broadcast are going to be buying fountain pens. There you go. Well, actually, in, in one of my books, Simplify Your Spiritual Life, I have a little chapter in there called Journal with a Fountain Pen. That's and right. the, the benefits of that is just the switch from the digital, doing something that's more tactile and hands-on. So very good. Well, let me follow up with that. So the, the way that I met you, Dr. Whitney, several years ago, I was looking uh, to do a DMIN and uh, I had looked at, um, you know, a lot of the different websites and the different schools. I graduated from Southern uh, with my MDiv. And, um, you know, I at that time, I was struggling a little bit because really all I saw available was, you know, leadership or biblical preaching or uh, expository preaching, you know, missions. And at that time, uh, you know, I, as a pastor and a leader, yes, I thought those would benefit me, but nothing just really caught my attention. I remember one day looking on the Southern website and, you know, my wife had just challenged me. I said, you know, I just feel like I'm dry. I just feel like there's God's leading me to something else. She said, you need to go back. You said you wanted to, to do your doctorate. And so I looked on the website that day and I saw on the website uh, a new demon uh, called biblical spirituality. And I remember that just intrigued me. Uh, and I called and talked to you, and you kind of explained that to me. So tell me, what, what is biblical spirituality, and, and 
how does that relate to our call, you know, as Great Commission Christians to, to make disciples? Why did y'all choose biblical spirituality? Well, there's an interesting backstory there, too. I mean, spirituality is a broad term, and everybody is spiritual today, right? I have a survey from the front page of USA Today where a majority of atheists consider themselves spiritual people. I mean, just try to find anybody who says, well, you know, I'm just not very spiritual. Everybody is spiritual. But it means whatever to everyone. When I was hired at Southern, I had already been professor of spiritual formation, at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of our sister schools in Kansas City. And it, it was the first and still is, I think, um, my role now is the only such full-time position uh, in, in any of our seminaries. And so um, the only model we had as we looked around academia was spiritual formation. So that's what we called it. When I came to Southern, I remember that the last step in the hiring process before going to the trustees is you're interviewed by Dr. Moeller. So I'm upstairs with, with the dean and we're waiting for him to show up. And so finally he comes in waving a sheet of paper. And he says, I've been trying to think of a name for this position for an hour and I can't think of a good one. And you know, he had six different names. He said spiritual formation. He said, that too, sounds too Catholic to me and all the others that, that people don't know what it is. And then I said, well, what about biblical spirituality? People still may not know what it is, but whatever it is, we're trying to be biblical about it, you mm -hmm. know, and he liked that. Uh, I didn't mention that I happen to have a website called Center for Biblical Spirituality, but nevertheless, that's how my position came about. And in summary, what I, I say to people, it's basically the simplest way. It's, it's walking with God, living the Christian life according to the Bible. Uh, so that's probably the simplest uh, layman's uh, definition. There's an academic side to that. There's a very practical and personal side to that. Uh, we cover both of those in our program, but basically it's it's knowing God, walking with God according to the Bible, not your own desires, not the cultural means of mindfulness or whatever that means, but according to the Bible. That, that's a great word. And I was, matter of fact, that brings up a, a thought here, Dr. Whitney. Sermon this past Sunday, um, was on Goliath for Samuel 17 and 18. And the Lord just taught me that, that Goliath wasn't defeated when the stone struck him in the head, but when David realized his authority as, as a child of God is really when that battle turned. And so what you're talking about in this biblical spirituality is huge. And what I would say, and, and Ray, you chime in here with your thoughts, a lot of our leaders in that are watching today there's, they may struggle with this to understand who they are as a child of God, because that affects so much of who they are as a leader. So you've, that's what, one of the things that I've appreciated about your books, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Spiritual Disciplines for the Church, Family Worship, which is really probably one of my favorite because it's the one that I utilized the most uh, in my own family with my kids. So I, I got a question here. What was the inspiration or life event that led you to invest so much time into this uh, critical pursuit. Critical pursuit of? Of, of creating those books. Right. Okay. Of writing right. I don't know the, if you're talking about that or specifically pursuit of family worship. Yeah. Well, um, I think like a lot of people, you know, who are readers, they think about the idea of writing, but I'd never had any writing training. I uh, just never thought that'd be a possibility uh, for me. And then um, uh, I met someone who, um, well, let me back up a bit. 
I, I did a DMIN before I did a, a PhD. And in my DMIN program, I think maybe the best class I ever had in my life was on the spiritual and intellectual development of the pastor. And one of the projects for that was the skeletal outlines of what became spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, a, a teaching series uh, that I did on the spiritual disciplines. And eventually that morphed into a my first book contract, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And once that came out and, and had some success, that opened the door, uh, you know, invitations began, began to come about writing. And, and uh, so it kind of snowballed from there. That's really good. Now, Ray, I'm going to sidetrack because what this is gold. We got pastors right now that are literally at this moment trying to map out spiritual disciplines for their church. Uh, a, a process to take their people through. And I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, you know, what are those key spiritual disciplines? Do you have any advice for those pastors, those discipleship leaders that are trying to set up those processes in their church that deal specifically with those spiritual disciplines? Well, whole reformation begins with teaching, doesn't it? <clears throat> you can't expect people to do what they've never been taught to do. So mm. we're talking about preaching and, and teaching on the spiritual disciplines, and then, of course, modeling them. Uh, the, the lecture I close my uh, class with, uh, my basic class at seminary is 1 Timothy 4.16, pay attention to your life and doctrine. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and those who hear you. So mm -hmm. it's piety and theology, heart and head, spirit and truth you know, heat and light, and, and we need both. So there's the teaching of what the Bible says about these things and the modeling it, showing it uh, to people. So they've got to live it in their lives if they're going to be uh, believed in their preaching and teaching. So you want to increase uh, spiritual disciplines uh, in the lives of your people? Well, you got to show them the way. you got to, you got to do these things. You can't expect them to, you know, if you're to follow you, if you're not not only an advocate, but a yes. practitioner. So uh, uh, th that's that's the core of that. So just like any sermon series, I mean, they need to study what are the spiritual disciplines, the you know best books on those things, preach what the Bible says about those disciplines. It's going to be a topical series, not an exposition of going through a book of the Bible, which I would normally recommend, but it's going to be a topical series. And uh, uh you teach people what the Bible says about them and how to do them. And if they got questions there, um, I know a guy on the broadcast right now who just happens to have written a couple of books that could help with that, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's the purpose of those books. They were first, uh, uh, you know, lived out and, and taught in a local church context. Uh, study guides, you know, help people uh, study them in the church. So, yeah, that's that's uh, pretty much what I do. My professorship is about that. My uh, outside the seminary ministry where I do conferences and write books, it's, it's all about spiritual disciplines one way or the other. So good, Ray. Dr. Whitney, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, with my books and um, was going That's back. the old over. edition, Ray. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that because I, okay. I'm, here, here's the deal. I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, my father, just a, a wonderful pastor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a different one. Um, and I learned a lot from him. Um, 
when I went to seminary, I learned a lot at seminary, but I'm going to tell you something, to be honest, and I've, I've told pastors a lot of this, nobody ever really taught me about the spiritual disciplines. I never saw it, it modeled, not, not just in my father, because nobody taught him. And, and I never really saw it modeled in the church. When I thought about solitude and some of those things, I thought that was like, you know, Catholic and, you know, other things like that. That's so, what monks do, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't until really when I began to read these books and I began to study with you that God began to open my eyes to some of these. And, and here's where I, I love what you said, the practical part of it, because it was, in, it was in one of your classes where I actually learned how to pray the scripture. And you didn't just teach us how to do it. You gave us an outline, but you sent us out. And I remember that day going off into a room by myself and, and had this little outline. And I, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I don't really know what this is, but I'm going to do it. And, and I'm going to tell you that that was a, that was a powerful, it was Psalm 23 is what you used. And I just remember in that room thinking, how can I pray for more than two or three or four minutes without my mind, you know, getting distracted. And I remember following that outline and walking through that and just realizing, oh my gosh, man, I'm out of time. <laughs> and 30 minutes had gone by just like that. Yeah, I think, oh, yeah. oh, come looking for me. But it was and then that we talked about of, it and we discussed it. You know. Yeah, it was that aspect of you not only telling us the importance of it, but showing us how to do it and then yeah. coming back and talking about it. So to me, that's disciple making. That's exactly. that's mentoring. So I'm curious from you, where did you learn some of these? Did you have a mentor? Uh, in your life, or you know, kind of, how did this all get started for you? Wow, I, I mean, at about five or six points during that, I, th I thought I knew what the question was going to be. Uh, so much to say. Well, your question was finally uh, it's, a, it's a big topic. Yeah, you know, where did this start for me? Uh, in the home and the local church. Mm. My dad was a daily Bible reader, and so he modeled that for me. And I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, which and I assume many, maybe most of your viewers and listeners don't know what I'm talking about, though I know you two guys do, but I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church um, in, uh, you know, the first memory of this would be very late 50s and then clearly the 60s, but the uh, offering envelopes with the eight-point record system mm -hmm. on there. And when you were born, your family was given a box of offering envelopes for you, mm -hmm. and they put something in that and filled it out and brought it to church when they dropped you in the nursery. Mm -hmm. And on there was uh, attendance. If you were there, you check that box. You uh, were staying for worship. You check that box. You brought an offering. You check that. There were about eight of those. And one of them was, did you read your Bible every day? Yeah. Now, yeah, that could be prone to legalism. Certainly. She's just checking those boxes, but you know what? It, it wouldn't, it, if I were pastoring again, it would be a pretty good, piece of information to know how many of my people were reading their Bible every day. That would tell me a lot about my church, how many of them were giving, you know, that, so it was, there was valuable information there and there's some accountability and expectation. But my point is I knew every person in my church was being asked every Sunday, did you read your Bible every day this week? And then we had another thing. And I, I surveyed a class recently, two of my students knew what this was a Sunday school quarterly. Yeah. And in the back of the Sunday school quarterly, which was your literature you got in Sunday school once a quarter, were the daily Bible readings for that quarter. So, you know, they were assigned there in the back with little check boxes. And I knew that every Sunday in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher would say, how many of you boys read your Bible every day this week? Yes, sir. 
That was just the air we breathed. Everybody in the church was asked that. And my dad modeled that. And so I'm told I began reading pretty early, like four or something. I don't remember, but I can say I have no memory of a life where I didn't read the Bible every day. Mm. I, 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 I don't remember not reading the Bible every day because of my dad, because of my local church. So, you know, that's where it started. And then it just, I mean, went from there. The first Christian bookstore I went, ever went into, I was in college, I bought a book on prayer mm-hmm. and uh, read that. When I was in seminary, I gravitated toward classes. Uh, you know, every seminary has a class, basic class on spirituality. You know, I love that class. And uh, as soon as I graduated, the first book I read was uh, Dawson Trotman's biography, the founder of the Navigators. Again, you know, the, the father, if you will, of the disciple-making movement in the 20th century and scripture memory movement and all these practical things. So even though theology was, I always saw as essential, I always was asking the question, well, how do you do this stuff? So those things blended together over a lifetime that ended up in, in the book. You just showed Ray my, my first book. And then this position that I've occupied now here in at Midwestern for, you know, more than a quarter century. Well, just a, just a follow-up question to that. So you talked about the practical side. If, if you had a, I'm, I'm, I talk to a lot of guys, a lot of pastors about mentoring. And like I said, a lot of them have never had anybody that have poured into them. So let's just, let's create a scenario here. Maybe you have two guys or one or two guys, young guys that are ministers and they come to you and they say, Dr. Whitney, I don't know a lot about spiritual disciplines. Um, but you know, I, I need somebody to help me to guide me in this. And I know that's a big topic. There's a lot of chapters, a lot of different disciplines, but where, where would you begin with a guy like that? That maybe it's just starting out in ministry and are there, are there specific disciplines maybe that you would start with, or where would you pour into them? How would you encourage them to begin? Well, so many thoughts come to mind here. One is it's just we're in a big problem when we have pastors who don't know how to practice spiritual disciplines. Okay. I mean, they're the shepherds of the flock. They, they are the, it, it, how do they care for the souls of others if they don't know how to care for their own souls? I mean, when we call pastors, we need to talk to them about their devotional life and how they're going to lead us spiritually if they don't know how to, you know, practice the basic spiritual disciplines in and of themselves. So that's why mentoring is important. That's why seminary is of great value uh, to so many uh, like you, right? I mean, you take my classes, you're going to walk out of there knowing exactly how to do it. I'm going to apologize for guys, even like you, getting a, a working on a doctorate. I'm going to teach you how to pray the Bible, send you off by yourself, have you do it. And then we're going to talk about it. I want to make sure guys have that down uh, cold, whether they're starting out of an MDiv program or they're in a PhD program. But if I'm starting with anyone, Ray, including my local church, the two most important personal spiritual disciplines are the intake of the word and prayer. Let me back up for just a minute. There are personal spiritual disciplines, those you do alone. That's this book. There are interpersonal spiritual disciplines, those you do with others, with the church. That's this book. So, for example, we're to pray alone. Okay, Jesus did that. He tells us to do that. We're also to pray with the church. We're to worship God all alone. But we're to worship God with the church. And, you know, we could go on and on. And both are important. We all tend to incline one way or the other. 
Some of us like to be alone. We don't like crowds. We don't like to be around the church so much. We're introverts. And, you know, we really thrive on the personal spiritual list. Other people don't like to be alone. You know, last year was a torture. For some people, last year was the greatest year of their life. You know, they wish social distancing was made permanent. You know, they, they love being alone. But other people are more gregarious and they don't like to be alone and they're energized more by being around people. So things like fellowship and and uh, congregational worship and small group things, that's crucial to them. But no matter which way your personality leans, we all need both. But if we're talking about, you know, the, the personal spiritual disciplines, and you're a pastor teaching your church about these things, or you're mentoring someone, the, the two most important personal spiritual disciplines are the intake of the word and prayer. All the others grow out of those two. The intake of the word and prayer, that, that sets the trajectory for all the others. Those are quality control for all the others. Absolute gold, Dr. Yeah. Whitney. And you make a point that I think it's it's bare diving a little deeper as, as I get into this next question with you, because you mentioned how Ray come and he's in a doctorate, but you're still going to go through how to do it. And you're still going to send him off. And here's the thought, not assume that he knows how to do that. Right. And I think we are failing many times in our local church that we are assuming that the people around us have been through these spiritual disciplines, have been mentored and understand what they're doing. Such a great point. Now, um, in Georgia, we are setting up learning communities. We've got 40 of those with about 250 staff, leaders, pastors that are in there, and they are engaging just for that accountability, best practices, and to learn some of those things we wish we had learned years ago. What personal practice would you share for leaders who are wanting to take a step forward today in their personal leadership journey? What are, what's, a, what's a nugget? What's a thought? Just as a leader, and maybe specific to spiritual disciplines, what's uh, something you would speak to that leader there that are saying, hey, I just, I just, I want to take a step forward. What could I do? Let me return to my last answer when I say we're back to the intake of the word and prayer, because if a person isn't into those, Scott, if you're, if the people in your church aren't into those, forget fasting, mm. forget journaling, forget all the other disciplines. And sometimes people say, you know, look, it seems like every time I come to church, somebody talks about reading my Bible and praying. Okay. Can you go to something a little more exotic, you know, well, I'm willing to talk about journaling or fasting or silence and solitude. They're in, they're in the Bible. But if we don't have that foundation of the intake of the word and prayer, okay, with that, now back to your specific question, Scott, the guy who wants to take the next step forward, this is what I would, this is what I would do. With the two most important personal spiritual disciplines, intake of the word and prayer, in my understanding there's an almost universal problem with both of them. And it's true even among pastors, because I see it in classes like Ray sat in, I see it in classes my MDiv students sit in. Even our most devoted daily Bible readers tend to have this problem. They, they take their Bible, they, they read their Bible, they, they close their Bible, they read it every day, maybe they read 10 chapters a day, but as soon as they close their Bible, if pressed, most days they'd have to admit I don't remember a thing I read <laughs> or I forgot, yeah. you know, that doesn't do a lot of good. I mean, yeah. it does some good. Don't stop that. Yeah. But there's a simple 
permanent biblical solution to that, and that is meditation on Scripture. Mm. Reading is the exposure to Scripture. That's the starting place. Meditation is the absorption of Scripture, and it's the absorption of Scripture that leads to the experience with God and the transformation of life we long for when we come to the Scriptures. So if it were within my power to change the devotional life of every pastor, every Christian on the planet, I would start with meditation. So that's one of two things. You only got 10 minutes. I understand. You say, well, look, you don't get it. I'm overwhelmed. You're telling me to do more. Well, I know if I would do more, I would be better. That's true as a pastor, as a husband, as a parent, you know, everything. If I do more, I'd be better. I don't have more time. Okay. You're devoting some time to the word of God. Let's say it's 10 minutes. Don't spend all 10 minutes reading. Read for five minutes, meditate for five minutes. Far better to read less, if necessary, and remember something than to read more and remember nothing. So I'd start with meditation on Scripture. Second, the next step I would take as a leader to go forward is regarding prayer. There's an almost universal problem. People pray. When they do pray, they tend to say the same old things about the same old things, and that's boring. Mm. Words without variety eventually become words without meaning. It tends to be boring. And five minutes of that, like Ray mentioned earlier, can feel like hours, and your mind is wandering half the time. Simple, permanent, biblical solution to that. When you pray, pray the Bible. As Ray mentioned earlier, start with the 23rd Psalm. You read the line, then you talk to God about it. Lord is my shepherd. Lord, thank you that you are my shepherd. Shepherd my family today. Shepherd me in this decision. Make my children your sheep, O great shepherd. When nothing else comes to mind, go the next line. Just keep doing that as long as you have time. Anybody can do that. I'd start there, Scott. Right. And it doesn't take a seminary education to pray scripture. Nope. I'm a six-year-old who can read can do that. I'm telling you, the next thing I write, the next speak and I do is going to have the, the thought that prayer is the exposure of Scripture and meditation is the absorption. Well, no, of reading is the exposure to Scripture. Reading. reading. And that's the starting place. Yeah. But meditation right. is the absorption. absorption. One quick example. Reading the Bible tells us God is love, right? That's inspired revelation, 1 John. That, and we, we start there. That's the foundation. But med it's through meditation, Scott, that we feel the love of God mm. in biblically appropriate ways. You can read the Bible, close your Bible, and your heart is still as cold as ice. So we start with the, the truth, God's revelation. We read the truth, but then we have to absorb it. And that, that's meditation. And anybody can do that. That is so good. Hey, Scott, can I jump in real quick? I was just going to say, Ray, any final thoughts before we close? No, just, uh, hey, just want to say on this, um, I, I didn't know what Dr. Whitney was going to say on that. It makes me think, Dr. Whitney, that I did learn some good things, uh, and it stuck with me, because I'm going to tell you that when you said that, if, if there is anything in my life that's made the biggest difference, and, and I studied with you, I guess I'd already been in the ministry, this is my 30th year, so I guess it was probably about eight years ago, six, seven years ago, something like that. So I've been, you know, for 20 years in ministry, but the two things that helped me and changed my personal spiritual life was learning that meditation and praying the scriptures. If there are two things that I've carried with me that are more part of my life than ever before, it's those two. And it just changed my relationship with God and others. I mean, it's. Amen. Thanks. Yeah. God, God put me on the earth, I think, to teach those two things primarily. So I'm, I'm thrilled when I hear that. 
Praise the Lord. Gentlemen, thank you so much, Dr. Donald Whitney, Ray Sullivan. Thank you for sharing thoughts, insights. And friends, you may be watching today and, and still be overwhelmed. And where do I start? And man, I'm so far away from what you're talking about. Let me just encourage you with something. I read yesterday that it takes 20 miles to turn an aircraft carrier. But those, those things that are important to us, those monumental things in life, it takes time to move those. But what Dr. Whitney's talking about doesn't take you 20 miles to make that move. This is a moment that you can do as soon as you finish this broadcast to read the Word of God, to meditate on the Word of God, and to talk to your Savior. I hope that you will do that. And, uh, and I hope that you'll remember that we've got discipleship consultants that live across the region of Georgia, and they are there to serve you. Dr. Whitney, thank you so much. Ray You're Sullivan, welcome, Scott. Ray. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for producing as well. And thank you for our audience. And if this has helped you, we hope that you will share this to your page or with a friend. Now I pray that you will go with us as we go and make world-impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-makers.